an electrifying crowd we have here tonight at Scotiabank Arena here in downtown Toronto. Welcome everybody to Third Line Plug Smackdown. Tim and Tay live from Center Ice. Tim, these fans, they never cease to amaze me whenever Third Line Plug comes to town. You're right. Whenever you get a stacked card like we have, you're bound to have a hot crowd. And it's hotter than the seats these coaches occupy tonight. And the only thing hotter, Tim, is going to be the show that we've got for our fans tonight. And with that being said, let's send it to Center Ice for Puck. Oh, buddy, that was a hot intro, hot intro. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Third Line Plug, Sensecast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tim Jancy. Tim, how's it going, man? I mean, the Sens got four out of six, which hopefully will put the doomsayers off for a bit. Hopefully. Hopefully. I mean, it's the only thing we can do, right? Especially given that we're heading to Sweden this coming week. Yeah, and was looking at Simmer's Twitter, and he was doing a poll of uh, what the Sens should do as team bonding in Sweden. And uh, I think Party Down was the winner. I could see that. I, I've heard Stockholm is a very good city, very good nightlife. I'd say maybe I should have visited, but maybe the time to visit it was 10 years ago. Yeah, I think now, I think you've kind of aged out of that, given that you're yeah. married now. Yeah. Well, it's not just married, it's old. Yeah. It's What's the line from train spotting? It's... We all go, we all get old. We can't hack it anymore. And that's it. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So Tim, I got to tell you, man, we got ourselves a great episode to talk about this week. And we're going to kick things off by talking about our cover athlete for this week. Season seven, episode five, a chronological order, episode 155, the Sergey Gonchar edition of the third line plug, Sanscast. So just a little background about Sergey Gonchar. He was drafted 14th overall by the Washington Capitals in 1992. He played 20 seasons in the NHL with six teams. Washington, Boston, Pittsburgh, Ottawa, Dallas, and Montreal, recording 220 goals, 591 assists for 811 points in 1,301 games. He also played in five All-Star games and won a Stanley Cup with the Pittsburgh Penguins in 2009, while also winning two more as their development coach in 2016-2017. Yeah, the guys had a heck of a career. One cup, two-time All-Star, 1,300 games played in... 800 points for a defenseman that is nothing to sniff at but i think unfortunately what's probably kept him from the hall of fame is one moment in 2009 when the pucks coming back into the pittsburgh and elimination game for pittsburgh gonchar gets beat flat and the puck ends up behind mark andre Fleury. It is, but unfortunately for Gonjar, I think outside of that, he's a player that casual fans may not know the guy's name, but I think for people who are regular observers, regular viewers of the NHL, they definitely knew who Sergei Gonchar was because, I mean, he put up so many great seasons, especially in the Washington Capitals organization. He didn't win a Norris Trophy, and I think that was the one thing that really stuck out to me because I think him and Scott Stevens really stick out as the two guys that – you go through their careers and you realize, like, really? They never won a Norse trophy? Yeah, especially Gonchar. 
who was a defenseman who in Washington was regularly hitting 50 plus points every season on some really good teams. Very good teams. I mean, that 1998 team, that's nothing to sniff at. We had Ole the goalie, Peter Bondra, Dale Hunter. You had himself, Joe Juno, who still holds the record for most assists by left winger as a rookie. It's a, such a good team, and they just happen to run into that wagon in the Red Wings. Yeah, and that's just one of those things where it's, it is what it is. And the other thing, though, is how are you going to win the Norris when you're playing against guys like Lindstrom, Al McInnes, Rob Blake, Hatcher, Chara? Like, that's stiff competition. Pronger. Pronger. Adam yeah. Foot. Well, you know what's funny, Tim? I and you I might be wrong on this, but I think if you look at Nick Glitstrom's career, seven Norrises. He won seven. I don't think he won any of them before 2006. <laughs> and you think at the time, I mean <clears throat> He got his first in 2001. Oh, he did win in 2001. Okay. Yeah, one 2001, 2002, 2003, uh, 05, 06, 07, 08, 09. Yeah, he re- the only gap there was a gap in 0304 when I think the the Norris went to Niedermeyer. Scott Niedermeyer. Who's another guy that again you tend to forget in his time in Jersey, he won three cups and only has the one Norris. Yeah, because Lidstrom was too busy winning them. Yeah. Well, and don't forget we had Ray Bork too, right? Yeah. Yeah, man. Oh, God. Those defensemen of the 90s, they were built so differently. Well, yeah. The NHL was just built different, too, right? Yeah. And that's nothing to sniff at the NHL now. The NHL is in an amazing spot now, talent-wise. But the 90s, there's a reason why so many people still go back to that time period. Yeah. You know, one thing I forget is I always forget that Gonchar finished out his career in Montreal. And you know what? Gonchar in Montreal kind of seems like it would have worked if he was there 10 years earlier. Oh, yeah. But as we as we said about those Montreal teams, they were bad. Like, the only thing that kind of... Like, those teams forward and defense cores were just ridiculously mid. And Carey yeah. Price played out of his mind. I was going to say the Habs were more mid than bad. I mean, they weren't great, but they your were top good. line was Pacioretty, Placanic, and David Darnay. Nobody got 70 points on that team, and they had 110 standings points. That should tell you something. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I mean, still, I still look at those Habs teams as being fairly mid, but when I'm looking at Gonchar's career with some of these teams, the one team that I would have assumed he would have been a perfect guy with is with the Bruins. Yeah. Keep in mind, this is pre-Chara arriving. So he gets traded from Washington to Boston. He plays on the team. I don't know if he played particularly well with the Bruins. And then they just let him walk in free agency. Well, it's like the Bruins did so many wild things in that lockout period. Like, Gonchar walked. They very quickly traded Joe Thornton. Which we talked about a few weeks ago. Yeah, like, Shirelli made some moves. 
Yeah, and we also can't forget he brings in Zidane Chara at a time when the salary cap was at $39 million. Yeah. And that big chunk of that went to him. Mm-hmm. It's kind of wild. Well, I don't think it's actually that wild that like 20 years later, it's more than double. Given that inflation doubled prices in about the same amount of time. Yeah, I mean, as hockey fans, like we're going to get to a point where we're going to see the seller cap at 100 million. Pretty quick, too, honestly, like definitely by the end of the 2020s. Yeah, probably in the next five years. Easy. I mean, that's going to be a hard one not to argue, especially well, especially with the expansion teams possibly now coming in. You already have Vegas. You have Seattle. There potentially might be Houston. You might hear another team. But I'm not too – I mean, you would know more better than I would. I don't know if expansion would really help in that. I think it would. It can because there's more competition for the star players who are the ones that are trying to driving the salary cap. Yeah. But there's also the fact that if you add in 20 more slots, there's more premium ice time for players to fill in. So the effect is actually kind of ambiguous because it could go the other way too where you have more spots for star players, which then reduces the premium they can command. You see, Tim, this is why we have you on the show. <laughs> you say smart things and you make me look bad. That's okay. I mean, all I said is it's hard to tell, right? True. But I mean, if if there is stuff on the show and I'm like, I don't fully know if I know what I'm talking about, Tim might know. <laughs> I'll take that. Actually, actually, sorry, I'll take that, yeah. It's not a... Tim might know. Tim 100% probably understands this way better than you do. Uh, maybe. Depends on the topic. Depends on the topic. Yeah. Well, especially for next week's Cover Athlete, Season 7, Episode 6, Chronological Order, Episode 156. This is a throwback right here. The Bud Buster. Remember that nickname? Oh, mwah, chef's kiss. Good times. Magnus Payarvi. I mean... I kind of put those years just out of my mind. That was a player with an interesting history. And uh, given some of the news that we'll be talking about today, it might be fun to kind of look back on where Edmonton has been over those last 15 years since uh, they flunked out of the Stanley Cup finals and entered into the wilderness. Oh, yeah. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Now, Tim... We're going to avoid talking from talking about our cover athlete for next week because I got to ask the, the question. The question that our listeners love knowing and I love asking, how's your week been going? Been good. Ordered lumber. Turns out it's a pain in the butt to get anything shipped over a long weekend, even if it's just coming from the Home Depot down the street to your house. Is it just for the rentals that you guys are doing? Yeah. Business? So it's like, I was like, you know what? I'm going to either need a van, but I'm also buying like 16 foot two by fours. Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay, you know what? I'm just going to put it. I'm just going to pay the 75 bucks to get in a truck. Yeah. Yeah. That's the way to do it. Right. It would be a lot easier if you guys had a truck, but unfortunately that's not the case. Well, and if we're talking about like a 16 foot two by four, that probably weighs like 30 pounds. I don't think you could put that in the back of a flatbed. No, I guess not. I, I guess, no, I guess you're right. Well, you'd have like a flatbed, sorry, but you couldn't put that in like the back of a pickup without like the world's greatest. Well, you'd have to have the gate down and the flag on the end and quite possibly the best tie job you've ever done. Honestly, and not even that, but I mean, just the, 
suspensions on that truck. You know what it would look like if you've ever seen Christmas Vacation when the Griswolds had their station wagon and it's like that on an angle driving yeah. down the street? It would look like that. Yeah, so... And that's an expensive piece of wood, too, because like I think each of those uh, long two-by-fours was like 30, 50 bucks. Are you getting the good kind of wood, though? I think so. It's not like I... Well, I didn't spring extra for like naughty cedar, but... Yeah. For interior stuff, I think just like a standard hardwood will be fine. And I bought most of the boards so that they're pretty close to the size of wall that I'm building. So I won't have to do a lot of refitting. Right. It, like your guys' basement, is it just a wide open concept? Oh, it's completely open right now. Yeah. So you basically have like, yeah, you'll have drywall and stuff up, separate rooms, what all that good stuff. Yeah. So like the framing is going to be it shouldn't be too hard. I've got a guy who said he's going to show me how to do it. Yeah. But is from what guy, I've been reading online, it's not too hard. It doesn't look too hard. Is the guy Bob Vila? No. Okay, question, side question. Who would you get? Like a handyman, like a famous handyman. Who would you get to do that? I don't know any famous handyman. Does Tim Allen count? Mm. I don't know. Tool, tool time? A tool type, maybe Al Borland. Yeah. Yeah, he's got a beard and a flannel shirt. He probably knows what he's doing. I'm not going to lie. I don't remember anything about home improvement. Yeah, it's a show that it's very of its time. You you just put it on for 30 minutes. You're in and out. Nothing really sticks. And it's wild, too, because I remember it being really popular, at least in my neck of the woods. And now I... I only ever hear people talk about it's like, hey, remember Tim Allen or hey, remember that awful Super Nintendo game? You know what? I have actually played the Super Nintendo game. It's so bad. Do you know they actually made one of Lethal Weapon 3? I remember somebody owning that when I was a kid. And I, I could understand Lethal Weapon 1. But why 3? Ooh, I would actually say of the Lethal Weapon movies, I could say 2. Uh, Fair. Two, three, even. Three's a more of a harder sell, but I could see two. I didn't know there was a Lethal Weapon 5. Holy moly. There, a Lethal Weapon 5 is coming. Apparently, there's a TV show, which I have also never seen. Why? I don't know. It lasts a couple of seasons, too. Whoa, Mel Gibson's going to direct Lethal Weapon 5? Let's go. Wait, oh. how is he even allowed back in Hollywood? Oh, you know, I think at this Honestly, I think it's one of those things where enough time has passed where people tend to forget about this thing that he said and did. That's true. But man, that was a rant for the ages. Buddy, the only rant that could have topped it, and that's unfortunate, and I actually forgot to put it in top of the hour, is the Alex Gelchenyuk video that came out. Do you want to just put that one, sneak that one in? Or we can just talk about it now. Holy moly! Now that I've heard that, it's like, we got it before, given the description that we got. Yeah. But then you hear it, it's like, how did he not get a bigger punishment for that? That's uh, that's really something. It is really something. And when the video surfaced and I had a look at it, you know, a lot of people are thinking, man, that's messed up. My first thing is, man, you actually feel really bad for Alex Gachenyuk given the talent that he had and the problems that he obviously has and this has to be the lowest part of his career 
well yeah and it's like like how did it spiral to that is kind of the question but at the same time it's like yeah you kind of feel bad for it but at the same time there has to be consequences for that sort of thing yeah because like that was across the like okay saying it's across the line is such an understatement it almost condones it like that was he crossed the line and he kept going like forever forever that's like like, remember when forrest gump when forrest was playing for alabama and he ran for a touchdown and he just kept running that was that that was that like i guess i'm just really surprised that he didn't get like into le- actual legal trouble for that it, it is it's incredibly sad to see it but you know hopefully he's gonna come out of this a better person hopefully hopefully so i'm I'm going to talk a little bit about what I've been up to this past week, Tim, because one thing I got a chance to do today, I got to go back on the ice and play hockey. Don't recall the last time I actually put on all my gear, went out, had a great time. The one thing I actually feel really bad for one of the guys that came out because I'm sitting on the bench and I hear a thong. It sounded either like the crossbar or the post. I look at the far end of the ice and the goalie's legit laying rolling on the ice. Ooh. and my first thought was oh my god when i heard the thong and i heard like the net popped off the the rungs my first thought is oh my god he hit his head against the crossbar that's where immediately where my head went to and he had to get helped off the ice oh wow so what happened is and he was in our locker room and i was talking to him afterwards apparently what happened was that the guy on my team he it was total accidental he just hit I don't know if he hit a caught an edge or did something, but he crashed into him and the goalie hyperextended his knee. Ew. After, by the way, he he had already torn his ACL and his PCL in his knee. It's kind of incredible. He keeps coming back. I goalies know. are just built different. Goalies, man, there's a reason why goalies are just nuts. Yeah. But you know what though? You gotta hand it to them, man. They're off their athleticism is just so off the charts. Especially because it's one thing when you're a player. Yeah. Yeah, you're in full gear, you get up, no problem. A goalie, you've got 20, 30 pounds worth of gear on top, plus your pads. Yeah. That's why whatever like a net crash goes wrong in the NHL, you just look at it and you wince. Yeah. Because there's nothing, because you're a setting dock at that point. There's yeah. nothing you do. Now, I was going to mention about the sneaky Costco run we made today after hockey. We had to get a few things. But the one thing I really wanted to bring up, Tim, because this is something we talked about last week. Our discussion about divorce dad rock slash butt rock. <laughs> this really caught my imagination. And it caught my imagination so much to the point where I'm like, I'm going to sit down and legit think of some bands that we didn't mention, and I've got three of them. All right, what do you got? Okay. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard... Two of these you've heard of. The third I don't know of. I'm going to start off by asking, have you ever heard of the band Rev Theory? No. Okay. This is the way to describe Rev Theory. Do you remember the channel Spike TV? Yes. Okay. Just because of MXC. Yes. Imagine a band that perfectly describes Spike TV's audience 
and the content they were producing from 2005 to 2009. This is including TNA, the UFC, all of their man show stuff like that that they were doing. That's... Blue Mountain State, they did the theme song for that show. Uh, all right. Yeah, they are. There's a reason why you don't hear about them now. It's incredibly dated and rather sophomoric. It's not good. Right. Just like this band, another band that has got Theory in the name, and they are Canadian. Theory of a Dead Man. I don't know why, but my brain always wants to put Nickelback in that band. Like, Tread Kroger in that band. And you know what? Chad Kroger found Theory of a Dead Man. He signed them. Which is what makes that so funny, is it's not Chad, but Chad is the guy who made them popular. Which, if you've ever heard any of Theory of a Dead Man stuff, Nickelback is the influence that they're going for. Like, it's not even, like, derivative to the point of being at least, not even creative, but to a point where you're just like, eh, it's not good. Yeah. And here's the thing. They're still going. They had a hit song about, I don't know, four or five years ago. That Wait, was more of a country dead, rock sort of thing. Yeah. And you know what? They're just called Theory now. I'm not okay with that. Dude, it is so bad. Well, I guess that's on the same level as... Which emo band was it that recently, like last year, had that really big hit? It wasn't like Fall Out Boy or uh, My Cup Core Romance. It was one of... Was it Paramore? No. Shoot. It was like the do-do-do-do-do-do. Got high hopes. That one. Uh, it was it Panic at the Disco? Oh, Headley. That was Headley? No, it wasn't Headley. Panic at the Disco? I think it was Panic. What? We we could just Google this. We should. We yeah, should. it was Panic. It was Panic. Like, that was just... It was out of, like, the usual kind of emo pop punk wheelhouse. It was just, like, straight up a pop song. Yeah, that's where a lot of... Like, that's where Headley went to they had that song you know, if uh, yeah when you grow up if you want to be an xbox tester or an astronaut i'm like what the hell is this Re- remember headley used to come to duncan yep His... that should dude something. that's a memory like same with mariana's trench i forgot mariana's trench existed but yeah if you're playing the stick you're definitely kind of on that tier three a band. Yeah, and then you find out what a pederast their lead singer really was. That was bad. Not as bad as the lead singer of Lost Profits. That was next level bad. Yeah, I remember I remember Headley got cancelled for a reason, but if it was Miners, yeah. Yeah. You should have some jail time attached to that one, buddy. Oh, buddy. Now, you remember how when I talk about Rev Theory and I said they perfectly summed up Spike TV's programming for the four years? Here's one that they were so popular in the early, late 90s, early 2000s, and you hear nothing about them now. What about Godsmack? 
I think they did like music for like Tony Hawk games. And that's the only reason I know them. Dude, they had a couple of songs that were used in the UFC. That summed it up right there. That's (laughs) that's your audience right there. That is really something else. Godsmack is not... Oh my god. Godsmack is just so... Just awful. And the thing is, they tried so hard to sound tough. It comes off as being laughable. That just kind of sums up that whole genre. It really does. Yeah, because I know like there's been a term for like the music coming off the NHL games over the last couple of years. It was called NHL sound, NHL EA NHL soundtrack rock. It was never good. No, there was a couple of good songs that came out of that, like Jimmy Jimmy Eat World Sweetness. Yeah. Song still goes off, man. But yeah, Godsmack, it was just so it's so laughable to look at them now. Cause they try so hard to be tough and there's just nothing tough about them. It's such a front. Yeah. The other thing from like the 2000s that's just like I forgot how many just emo bands there were. Yeah, and that was back when that was what in the mid two thousands when that third wave of emo I think came out, which I think there was a YouTuber I watched. He says it's like how do I describe it? It's glamified now, but it was super lame at the time. Oh, like Midwest emo. Yep, like your MCRs, your Fallout Boys. There was nothing cool about that. Yeah, because I think he even was just like the only people I remember that liked emo music in high school were like, yeah, the kids who were like somehow dorkier than me. And that's kind of impressive considering that I happily played Pokemon on my lunch break. Hey, but you know what, though? You were happy doing it, buddy. Well, I owned it, too, so. (laughs) You know what? And that's the nice thing about you is that you own that shit. That's why I say you're the real deal, my homie. The real deal. But you know what's also the real deal, Tim? It's segueing to this little segment I like to call Top of the Hour. Nice. You know, one thing I'm going to not pat myself on the back for some of those segues into Top of the Hour, but sometimes they're just so smooth that you just got to give it to me on that one. So we're going to give a couple of congratulations, Tim. We're going to start off with talking about Nashville Predators forward Ryan O'Reilly, who played in his 1,000th career game during the team's game versus the Arizona Coyotes. There's a lot of these, and I know I say it every time, like, man, what did this player, where did the time go, blah 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 but it's like, Ryan O'Reilly, I remember it, not even a couple of years ago, people were wondering, like, is this it when things just weren't going well in Buffalo? And then the trade to St. Louis just kind of revived his career, eh? I mean, that's one way of saying it. I would say he absolutely resurrected his career because he went from, you're absolutely right. I mean, he went from a guy whose love of the game really diminished to a guy who won the cup and the consmite the next year. Yeah, and it's kind of funny seeing a player where he really passed, gets out of that Buffalo system, and all of a sudden he's scoring like 70 points. Like, it's just so weird to see a player like that do that because like his numbers in Colorado 
they were good, but not great. Then he goes over to Buffalo and it's just, he's still putting up like 50, 55, 60 points a season, but then all of a sudden just like, it looks bad while he's doing it. All while doing it with the funniest looking curve you've ever seen. So On you know like normal curves, you know, kind of like yeah. whatever shape you want to do. Described audio. His is like that. His looks like a cup. His looks like it. the tip of the blade is broken. Yeah. I look at that and I'm like, how does, how does a manufacturer even make that without breaking the blade? Very carefully. How is the integrity of the blade still intact if you bend it to that sort of angle? That is a great question. It is, man. And you know what? It's funny because you were talking about, you read about players, you're like, man, where did the time go? What about this guy? Carolina Hurricanes defenseman Brent Burns, who moved into ninth on the all-time goals list by a defenseman. Yeah. It seems only yesterday that he was playing forward. Man, it seems like only yesterday that he was a Minnesota Wild. I still remember the trade when the Sharks traded him for Setaguchi. That's a trade that doesn't really get talked about when you talk about upsets. Yeah, because I remember, like, Devin Setaguchi, he just fell right off after he left San Jose. And it was kind of unfortunate because it looked like it was a good young player on the up and up. And that just didn't work out. Devin Setaguchi, to me, he is the embodiment of a perfect EA NHL player. A player in the games that were young, very good. And then as you progressed in your franchise mode, he got better and he became a superstar. That didn't happen in the pros that happened in video games. Yeah. Well, what's so funny about Setaguchi too, is it's just like the underlying numbers were good. And then all of a sudden his ability to finish just fell off. It was just very weird. You know, I remember about Devin Saiguchi. Remember that shootout against Montreal where he flat out fell on his ass? <laughs> uh, so oh, good. that's so good. But you know what, though, about Brent Burns? You know what? Part of, me is, part of me is and part of me is not surprised that he is ninth all time. Only because of the names that you see on that list. And Brent Burns doesn't really seem to be like the first name you'd think of. No, but what's kind of wild is that Brent Burns has been incredible in Carolina. Like, it looked like his career was starting to go to its natural conclusion. Mm-hmm. And then he gets away from San Jose. And I almost wonder, like, bad defensive partners, weird system, maybe not a great locker room fit with Eric Carlson. Gets into the Carolina system, and it's been a massive revitalization of his career. Brent Burns looks like another guy who could be like Mark Giordano, who plays until he's 40. Yeah. I mean, look at Eric Carlson when he left, right? Hit a hundred points. Yeah. Then they traded him. Los Angeles Kings captain Anze Kopitar recorded his 400th career goal during the team's game versus Vegas Golden Knights. The one thing I always wonder about Kopitar, do you think the man gets into the hall of fame? Okay, so that's a great question. I don't know. Two cups, two Selkies, almost 1,200 points. I don't know. I mean, the I mean, the agulations are there. 
the points are there everything's there but there's so- maybe it's because he played on the west coast might be but like the his comparable players according to uh hockey reference are mark recchi luke robitaille mike mcdano stan makita joe pavelski pierre turgeon mark messier brendan shanahan jeremy roenick and patrice bergeron like there's only two players who are eligible for the hall that aren't in the hall on that list yeah, but I think with... And Turgeon team, really should be. I think Turgeon just got in, too. He got in oh, he did? Okay, finally. Yeah, well, with Kopitar, it's one of those things where you look at the other big-name centers in California at that time, being Joe Thornton and Ryan Getzloff. So I can kind of see where Kopitar would kind of get lost in the shuffle a little bit, but if you're basing it solely on what he's done with his career, I'd say he's a Hall of Famer. He's always been one of my favorites, but... Don't see him maybe as a first-year ballot guy. At the same time, though, the the guy was the driving force behind the Kings winning that Stanley Cup, the first and second Stanley Cup, and he was doing it at age 23. Mm-hmm. Like, his career has been incredible. Yeah, I'm not even arguing that at all. But I think for me, it's just... I don't know what it is about Kopitar. There's just something about it. I just don't see him being a first-year guy. Maybe. I. He definitely deserves to be. Oh. I hope, like, he doesn't get gatekept by something stupid like no Olympic medal. Well, I mean, he plays for Slovenia. Yeah, like... Who never heard of Slovenia before he came along? Yeah. But it's just, like, the... I don't think the Slovenian teams have ever really done much if anything yeah well i guess it's the same about slovakia before chara yeah yeah i guess that's true but then again slovenia is a very like it's a tiny country yeah i know one slovenian and that's because of card games so tim you know how we were talking about the san jose sharks with brent burns you know I tell you, they're just, they are having a season right now and not for a good, good reason, but they did win their first playoff or the first win of the season this past week against the Philadelphia Flyers, who became the first team in angel history to lose twice to teams that are winless 10 plus games into the season. Admittedly, that is such a contrived record that there's not a lot of, ways any team could do that the fact that philadelphia managed to do it twice is just so improbable that it's a complete fluke right it is but there's something that's so philadelphia about that too that's true because i mean you look at the teams that were winless after 10 plus games you're talking your arizona's teams like that that it's not even fair to punch down to them because they're so low. And then you got Philadelphia, who just, if any stupid thing was going to happen, it was going to happen to them. Oh, yeah. And then somehow Edmonton loses to them, too. Yeah. Like, this Sharks team is going, like, they are historically bad at this point. Like, I think they are one of the weakest teams that uh, hockey biz has ever tracked, which is impressive when you consider that the website was around for uh, the 2013-2014 Buffalo Sabres. 
because that team was something else. Oh, buddy, I don't think people fully realize how bad those mid-2010 Sabre teams really were. I remember watching watching them play, and it made like the co-current Ottawa Senators look like the Harlem Globetrotters. Like, it wasn't even fair. That's why we have the far more aggressive draft lottery in the NHL. Yep. And San Jose is just doing this organically. Yeah, it's like when you go back to the Mario Lemieux draft where Pittsburgh purposely lost games. And then you have a team like New Jersey who organically was that bad. And they lost out on it. That's so funny. It is funny. It is funny. Now, speaking about Mario Lemieux, we got to talk about his team, the Pittsburgh Penguins, because they have announced that they are going to be retiring. Yarmer Yager's number 68 during the team's game versus Los Angeles on February 18th. And I got to say, Yarmer Yager's 68 being retired by the Penguins, it was never a matter of if, it was always a matter of when. Yeah, and I think... The hard thing is, is like, do we wait for him to stop playing? And then you realize he's 50 and he's still playing. So you're like, you know what? Okay, fine. Because this is the Hockey Hall of Fame issue for Yager. They don't want another situation where they induct a guy and then he just starts playing in the NHL again. Yeah. Like Mario Lemieux. Yeah, or even Gordie Howe. Or Gordie Howe, yeah. So they're like, no, we're not doing this. I don't know if... I don't even think Gordy was inducted yet by the time he... No, he did. Was it he... was his second retirement. And ah. then he came back. You know, like I said, it was always a matter of when for Yarmer Yager in Pittsburgh because I think we could be honest here. In the history of the Pittsburgh Penguins, if you take Sid and Mario out of the equation, ask anybody, who's the greatest Pittsburgh Penguins not named those two? You would get a few names. You would definitely get Evgeny Malkin. You would definitely get Mark Andre. Sidney Crosby. Well, no, if you take oh, you Sid, took out Sidney, yeah. Take it, Sid and Mario out of the equation. You would get those two. You could. You get Yager. Yager would definitely beat that guy. And it's not even fair. Like you look at the years after Mario, like in between Mario retiring and Mario coming back, Yarmer Yager was on an absolute tear where it wasn't even fair. Like he single-handedly won heart trophies, won scoring titles almost by himself. Yeah. And it's wild just to see how badly Pittsburgh was doing outside of Yager and how that market almost lost the team. It is true. I mean, there was that whole documentary, I think it's called Red Penguin, where apparently there was, I think, part of the Red Army team or something owned the Penguins. There was a whole documentary on it. Apparently, it's really good. I haven't got a chance to watch it yet. But, no, I think this is really good. I think one thing that doesn't get mentioned, though, when talking about this, because there was always, I don't think there was any truth in it, but there was always a rumor going around that the reason Yager never got his number retired in Pittsburgh for so long is because Mario was involved. And apparently there was a bit of a, not a rift, but there was a weird thing between them. Mm. And people have always stated Yager was being held back for, for that retirement because Mario was the owner. 
And I mean, look at this show. Like we talk about Sergey Fedorov in Detroit. Yeah. You could look at it and be like, oh, why does Sergey Fedorov's number 91 is not retired? He was part of three of the four cops. He won a heart trophy. He won the scoring title. We had somebody on our show basically confirm to us it's it because old. Mike Illich's wife does not does not want him. Does not want his number retired. Which is just sad, honestly. Yeah. Sorry, I'm just I'm looking at this San Jose team and this this thing's wild. <laughs> Mike Hoffman being a healthy scratch and just the only like player playing NHL level offense is Hur- Hurdle and Duclair. Just what a team. Dude, those are two guys you got you feel so bad for. Because they're such good players. You just hope that a team would save them. Yeah. Part of our prayers every night. And like the Philip Sedina revival tour is uh not going well. No. All I'm gonna say is thank God we took Brady. Yep. And now, Tim, we've come to the big news story of the week. This is something that we hinted at last week, but we didn't talk about it. So let's talk about it now. The Chicago Blackhawks are facing another lawsuit in regards to an alleged sexual assault allegation involving their former video coach, Brad Ulrich. You know, I made the comment on the show last week. At what point does it get to where the Blackhawks could be stripped of that Stanley Cup in 2010? and potentially all of their championships be stripped from 2010, 13, 15. I would like to bring up a scenario. Yeah. Now, as I mentioned last week, I mentioned about U.S. college programs who did so much shady stuff, and they got so much stuff stripped from them. You know what this is a direct comparison to? Ohio. Penn State. Oh, Penn, yeah. If you look at what Penn State did with Jerry Sandusky for 15 years, he did all of that stuff to kids. And not only did Joe Paterno know who's the head coach, the friggin' university knew about this and they did nothing. That's fucked. And they got the absolute book thrown at them. They have, I believe, there is, I believe one or two of their national championships are unclaimed because of this. They got so much money stripped of them. They got scholarships stripped of them. They got people, and not just their coaching staff, school officials lost their careers and jobs over this. Well, yeah, it's a university molesting students and covering it up. That is such a violation of what the Academy is for. And as much shade as gets thrown at the NCAA, that is a league that when it acts, it acts. Mm-hmm. Because I think it is arguably the biggest sports league in the world. I would say that. Well, Okay, I would say out of the North American sports, I would 100% agree with you on this. Right, I guess FIFA, given that there's, or at least UEFA, maybe UEFA, 
because the clubs do play against each other. Yeah. And that's the one thing that you can at least commend the NCAA for is that when these schools screw up and screw up badly, they get the book thrown at them. You could throw a rock. Miami got it. Oklahoma got it. USC got it. Everybody got it. And Penn State was no exception. Yeah. So why is the Blackhawks the exception to all of this? Something that, again, we have to really drive this home. When you think of what the Devils did and what Ottawa did. Yes, what what they did was bad. What the Blackhawks did was worse and they got nothing. That really is just incredible. Again, at what point is the NHL now forced to act? You know the NHL will do nothing until it absolutely, absolutely has to. Yeah. And I I know I said it at the time, and I'm going to say it again. The Blackhawks scandal, this is the biggest black guy, Gary Bettman and the NH. Well... I would say what the NHL did with the union and the players association was also awful. There's that like, and then the ushers scandal yeah, in the cards. old Maple Leaf gardens are probably the biggest black eyes. The NHL has suffered. And this is the thing when you Gary Bettman's run as commissioner, there is three things I can commend Gary for expansions one the introduction of a hard salary cap and the introduction of the salary of the draft of the draft lottery excuse me draft lottery yeah what i'm not going to give him this is keeping arizona in the nhl and not throwing the book at the coyotes and three lockouts yes no other sport has had that. No, and you have to wonder, like, with the lockouts, if this happened in baseball or this happened in basketball or football, how damaging would that be to them? You, We <laughs> saw it firsthand what the NBA did in, in the late 90s. We saw what baseball did when 94 happened. The NFL, I think, was maybe the only one that was like, oh, okay, lockover's over. Let's go play again. Yeah. I'm surprised. I'm very surprised that Gary Bettman has survived all that. But I guess, in terms of the NHL lockouts, the league has gotten basically what it wants every time. Yeah, that's the thing. I think if Gary, what Gary has done, if it was putting the owners in a position where they're losing money out of this. You would have a problem. We see it firsthand in the in the NFL with Roger Goodell, because I, I think you're an injury. Put it best. He says if you ever look at the NFL closely, you quickly realize Roger Goodell does not run the NFL. Jerry Jones is the one that runs the NFL because yeah. he was the one that spearheaded the Raiders moving to Vegas, the Rams moving to LA. He was the one that spearheaded that. Admittedly, some of those moves had to happen. Yeah. Especially Oakland. Oakland, yeah. I think that's the only one that there was no choice. But I often think, because when the Rams moved to LA, people were like, oh, okay. 
And then the Chargers ended up moving to LA and nobody cared. All because the people wanted the Raiders. I mean, were the Chargers even popular in San Diego? I would say the Chargers definitely had a very passionate fan base. But I think it was to the point where they weren't really going to get a new stadium. Right. Because the city didn't want really want to pay for it. Right. Well, Tim, that wraps up Talk of the Hour for this week, which can mean only one thing. It's time to talk about some games. Now, we got three games on the schedule. We've got the first Battle of Ontario of 2023-24, the Canucks versus the Sens, and the Flames versus the Senators. But before we do that, let's hit the music. One, two, this on? <laughs> Yo, Jimmy, hit me with that triple H. Okay, Tim, let's start talking about the Sens versus the Leafs. This is a 6-3 Senators victory. Sens goes scored by Dominique Kubelik with two, Claude Giroux, Jacob Chickard, and Tim Stutzla. Leaf goes scored by William Nylander, Tyler Patuzzi, and Nick Robertson. Shots were 31-30 for Ottawa. Overall, I mean, neither team looked good defensively. Ottawa just looked better offensively. This was just a really fun game to watch as it was just end-to-end action as each team kind of came at each other in waves mm-hmm. although ottawa i feel like after the robert single ottawa just tightened up defensively yeah like they tightened up defensively which allowed them to get those three quick goals and kubelik with kubelik and stutzla scoring within a minute and i cannot bull and the Giroux goal i cannot believe how bad of a defensive miscue allowed wall bobbling the puck to turn into an empty net yeah like the guy just had zero support like yes he cannot lose the puck there but there has to be a supporting defenseman to prevent the pass yeah and that's what i don't understand about this leafs team defensively they're not sharks bad but they're pretty bad they are as of this podcast the team with the third most goals against with Minnesota and San Jose taking spots two and number one, Minnesota due to the, just the very poor quality of goaltending they've been getting. And uh, the San Jose sharks, uh, they are going to be a byword of failure of the NHL for years to come. Are they the team that's going to be, the clip of Bill Dodry going, I'm so depressed, I can't even blink. Basically, yeah. Like, Minnesota's just a weird team because the on-ice forwards and defensemen are doing the same thing that Minnesota always does. Mm-hmm. Just low-event hockey. But the goaltending's just so not there. It's not. But who was there, Tim? Jonas Corposalo. I mean, absolutely robbing Matthews with that glove save was beautiful. Oh, yeah. And Corpy definitely held Ottawa into this game kind of in that that second wave there after the Tyler Bertuzzi goal. Things could have gotten a bit ugly. 
then Shikrin puts them back up. And this was just a nice effort to see from Ottawa where sure the offense, each team was going at each other in waves, but it never really felt like the Sens had given up. And every time, anytime they got scored on, they just immediately got it back. Especially with, let's talk Dominic Kubelik. Let's do it. And I mean, two goals and they're nice. They were so nice. And he was a guy very early on. Like we were very critical of him going like, all right, I guess we might have to trade him. And then he just finds a scoring touch. Yeah. And that's going to happen with your streaky, your, uh, your streaky shooters. But uh, Kubelik and Tarasenko looked really good together. And honestly, Tarasenko's just looked good throughout the season too. And I was pretty happy with the way Rourke Chartier and and in limited ice, Roby Arvante played. Yeah. No, I really have been very happy with them. And even Tim Stutzla, I mean, he had a huge game in this one with a goal and three assists. And he was a guy that I was reading some people on Twitter talking about how Tim Stutzla really needs to get his game going, despite the fact I think he had four points, eight assists or whatever up until that point. And then he has four points in this game. Yeah. Well, it's like we really hadn't seen Tim Stutzla take over a game quite like he took over this one. Yeah. And the other thing is, is you could definitely tell last week and the week before that he was kind of fighting it. So hopefully, and I think this game did loosen things up for him. Uh, I have nothing but nice things to say about Stutzla during the Calgary game. And I kind of liked his game. I did like his game against Vancouver as well. Yeah. And Claude Giroux, like you said, he also had a great game. Just continued to be that ageless wonder. Yeah. And this game definitely put both teams were really fragile going into this one. Yeah. And I mean, even with the fire, the recent firing of Jay Woodcroft in Edmonton, there was probably people in Toronto that wanted Shelton Keefe's head. Oh, yeah. And... I can't blame them, but I have a lot of sympathy for Sheldon Keith. Look at the defense core that Brad Tree Living gave him. But on the other hand, there is no reason that Ryan Reeves should still be on the ice. The guy is no longer an NHLer. No, and he did absolutely nothing in this game for the Leafs. The funniest part is him skating around in the last minute trying to get anyone to fight him zach McEwen just laughs at him and skates away yeah that's the point you should just be like yeah okay it's over like yeah retire yeah so tim do you want to head off into the second game of the evening no i want to remind everyone that uh, ryan reeves is still signed for three two more years at a million dollars what a brutal contract it is tim it is i mean god what GM would do that? Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. What city would uh, hire a GM that uh, does that? I don't know. I mean, he did okay in the, his last stop with those two moves that he had. He was forced to make. Yeah, fair. Yeah. Canucks versus Senators. That's a five to two Canucks victory. Canucks goes a good. Excuse me. Canucks goes a good by Ilya Mikhailov with two, Brock Besser, JT Miller, and Elias Patterson. Sands goes scored by Drake Batherson and Artan Zub. Shots were 30 16 for Ottawa. 
this is a game where I think I agree with Brady Kachuk saying that the fan base needs to chill out and not give up when things get tough. There's people saying like, oh, the forwards are bad. This team's bad, blah, 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 blah. Look, the Canucks scored on a third of their shots. Yep. The Senators kept the Canucks under 20 shots. The Senators tied up this game despite their goaltender playing just awful hockey. Auto, this is a game that Ottawa very much deserved to win. It was just every, every mistake ended up in their end. Yeah. And it's, it's unfortunate. It's not been Anton Forsberg's year. Like, I don't know what it is. The starts he's had, he's not looked great. I get it. He's coming off two knee surgeries and he's 31. I get it. If I was 31 playing goal and I had two injured knees, I probably would play like crap too. But I'm not in the NHL. Yeah. So it's like the other thing is like Ottawa hit Batherson had a beautiful goal, rung another one off the crossbar. This game could have very easily been Ottawa's. Casey DeSmith played average and Ottawa got very, got what they deserved against him. And I don't think the senators didn't give up. They played a structured game and just really kind of Ottawa stars outplayed Vancouver's players. Like Stutzla was flying. And same with Drake Batherson. I mean, that goal, that was slick. That's some beer league goal stuff right there. Like, yeah, like just incredible stuff. And that Kachuk Norris Batherson line really took it to the Miller lines and the Pedersen lines. Buddy, are you saying that the B&B lines back together? I mean, it looks great. It does. I mean, the Batherson goal, you know what it re- immediately reminded me of? Do you remember? I can't recall the year. I think it was either 05 or 06. Jason Spezza against the Habs. Yeah. That's what that goal reminded me of. Ooh, I wish we could just play highlights. I I know, but we're not a video podcast, though. We're an audio podcast. If only we had described audio or something that we could describe it. But you know what? People could just look it up on YouTube. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. You know, these games, anytime the Canucks play the Sins in Ottawa, I have my yearly comments that I make every single year I watch them of, well, Ottawa's got a lot of Canuck fans there. And Katrina has to remind me, these are the same comments that I make when the Sens come out to Vancouver. There's a lot of Ottawa fans out here. Like, wow, there's a lot of Senators fans here. That's awesome. Admittedly, when I worked at the Bank of Canada, there were, on my floor, three people from UBC and four of us from UVic. There's going to be a lot of Vancouver fans. So basically what you're saying is that what the Bank of Canada did is they did what the Sens did with North Dakota. They just recruited everybody from there. They did like UVic specifically because of uh, David Giles' instruction in econometrics, but they're pr- they're pretty good at pulling from Canada's best universities, at least for the RA position. But then again, I mean, when you see the Sens fans... In other cities, I mean, you live in Calgary. You would know firsthand when you see the Sens fans come up to the Flames games. Yeah. Well, the other thing is, like, Ottawa is a big... Ottawa and Calgary are definitely... They're transplant cities. 
Yeah, and that's something I wanted to talk to you about. Because Katrina and I, when we were watching the game on Saturday, we were talking about this because there was a lot of Calgary fans in Ottawa. And I said, well, you know, I said, Tim will probably be the best person to ask about this, but I believe that people who go to school or work in Ottawa, a lot of them do come from Calgary as well. Yep. So yeah, Ottawa is very much one of those cities where there's not a lot of people from Ottawa. Like a lot of the people that you're going to meet working in the federal government are for somewhere else. Yeah, it's kind of like when you go to the oil rigs in Alberta. It, you'll never meet somebody from Alberta. You'd either be from Newfoundland. Nova Scotia. Nova Scotia, Quebec. Yeah. BC. Although you do get a lot of Alberta boys up in the rigs, too. That's, that is true. That is true. Like, you do get your fair share of East Coasters. Oh, yeah. Because I know what. Uh, I'm trying to think of how many people I knew at the bank that were from Ottawa. I want to say about five. That were like born and raised Ottawa. Yeah. So you're saying like born in the city, not born in say, or yeah. like or or Orleans or Canada. Yeah. Actually, I was gonna say I I haven't actually mentioned it to you. We had one of the trades on site. Two of the guys were actually from Ottawa. Oh wow! Like they're that's where they were flying from. They flew from Ottawa out here, and so we ended up talking. And I says, oh, because we had a number of guys from Edmonton. So I asked the guys like, oh, are you guys from Edmonton? So he goes. No, we're from Ottawa. And I was like, Ottawa? What the heck are you guys doing out here from Ottawa? And he's like, that's kind of cool. So we got, I said, oh, what part of Ottawa? And he said, Old Town. Okay, okay, like the Glebe, yeah. Yeah, East Ottawa. Yep. No, it's that's a nice part of town. Yeah. The only comment I got to make on the Canucks game, because I, unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to sit down and watch. I went out to dinner with my dad on Thursday when the game was happening. We walked into the restaurant when Artem Zub tied it. Nice. Yeah. It was a fun game to watch and like it's part of the reason why I'm not sold on the Vancouver Canucks as a team. No, do you feel that like they're just way overachieving right now? Oh yeah, they're they're riding percentages. Like uh Thatcher Demko is playing I think he has like what is his save percentage, but it's ridiculous and the the Vancouver Canucks are scoring on 20% of their shots as a team. Like that's not sustainable. And the underlying numbers, they're not bad, but they're not world beating. Like, I think they're going to come back down to earth. They'll probably end up in the playoffs just because of how bad the rest of the Pacific is. Oh, good Lord. I mean, when you got Edmonton in the bottom right now where San Jose is. Yeah. So it's like, given that, I think they'll make the playoffs just because they banked enough points. Yeah. Although, give it to Anaheim, though, because Anaheim's having a pretty good season right now. Yeah. Actually, very pleasantly surprised. Yeah. That's the thing. I don't know about you, but when you see teams for a number of years who are just kind of bottom feeder teams, when they eventually get to a point where they're, like, in the playoffs, you do feel pretty good about them. And for Anaheim, we can also identify the Dallas Eakin effect. Mm-hmm. He's gone and the team's good again. Sorry, the team is actually playing pretty well without him. Yeah, and they've got talent in Anaheim. Honestly, I want I wonder how much of it was the talent was already there but Dallas Eakins is a bad coach. Was he the one you referred to? No, that was Ralph Kruger. He was the Ralph Kruger's the hockey terrorist. <laughs> yeah. 
But again, it's like teams like Arizona and Columbus, when they eventually get to a point where they're in the playoffs, you don't feel like, oh, God, these guys are in the playoffs. You feel good for them. This will be fun to watch. They're fun. They're great that they're in the playoffs. Well, the other wild one is Frank Vetrano with 11 goals on the season. Yeah. Where did that come from? Dude, I mean, that Anaheim team, though, I got to tell you, they are going to be good. Or at least very fun to watch. Yeah, for sure. So, Tim, I hate to say it, but that's the time of the episode where we got to turn our attention to the third and final game of the evening. Flames versus Senators. That was a 4-1 to one Senators victory. Really, Coleman got the lone Flames goal. Sounds goal recorded by Matthew Joseph, Drake Batherson, Travis Hammock, and Rourke Chartier. Shots were 38-25 for Ottawa. Ottawa got a well-deserved win in this one. And I got to say, Dustin Wolf. I'm not going to put the blame on him. There was maybe one or maybe one goal. I would say, okay, that's kind of on you, kid. But the rest of them I can't blame him for. I mean, he, he looks- kept Brady Kachuk off the board. Yeah. He didn't keep him out of the net, though, but he kept him off the board. Yeah, the Hammondick slapper was funny. It was. That's a moment that you're like, because you're always expecting it to bounce off a defender or hit something else, and then it goes in. You're like, oh. Well, that play is so funny, too, because you have Stutzla and Giroux, or like Pat, like Calgary's defense has uh, left the building at this point, and they're just passing between each other like it's nothing, and they just kind of skirted out to Hammondick, who, uh, Hammondick only has one thing he's capable of doing in the offensive zone, and that's the slapper. Yeah, and it goes in. And it's just like, okay, here's all this really pretty play, and it's freaking Hammondick just slap her in. <laughs> all right, it is true because for people who didn't watch the game, I gotta say the Flames looked really good in the first period. They're throwing everything in the net, and then I don't know if they're they just stopped playing or they took their foot off the gas, but it was just like they kind of left Dustin Wolf by himself. Oh yeah. And it was, yeah, Ottawa was brutal to start the game. Just completely, completely disjointed. Couldn't couldn't string two passes together. Yeah. And uh, Nikita Zadorov got a couple really nice looks, really kept Ottawa in their own end. And then Matthew Joseph just steals the puck, skates it in, beauty goal. And I kind of feel like that's where... The wheels started to fall off of, like, actually, kudos to Calgary. They kept playing. They almost got a, another, they almost got the equalizing goal. Corpusalo kept Ottawa in this one. He did. I mean, especially in that first period when the Flames were throwing everything at him. 24 saves, point nine six so save percentage. One guy, and I'm surprised you haven't mentioned him, given that you guys are fellow East Coasters, even though he was born in Indiana, Drake Batherson. I mean, that goal, there was nothing Dustin was going to do on that one. That was wild. And that's what happens when you win faceoffs. You know, I'm really disappointed. There's not been a ton of chatter about how well Drake Batherson's been playing lately. Yeah, like this week has been a complete 180 from where he was last week. Where he rightfully was demoted to the third and fourth lines. Mm-hmm. And I've been, as I said, I was really happy with uh the top with that uh Chuck Norris Tarasenko line with uh Batherson no no points but 
it looked good. And uh, Batherson and Kubalik looked really good with Rourke Chartier. Yeah, and Rourke's been a guy who, I gotta say, I've been noticing him lately. Yeah, well, he took a long break from hockey due to concussions. And uh, Brady Kachuk made sure everybody knew that it was his first goal in five years. Yeah, you gotta love it, right? Gotta love it. Watching this Calgary team, like, granted, they did go all the way to a shootout against Toronto the night before and then flew in. Yeah. Gutsy first period, but the lack of talent is very apparent. And Jonathan Huberdeau is a shell of a man. Do you want to talk about the breakaway? Sorry, his clean breakaway? That was the saddest thing. You know what it looked like? Do you remember when we were kids and you would play mini sticks? It kind of looked like you were an adult playing mini sticks and it, you just kind of just get a little noodle throw at a kid. Yeah, it's like, I I wonder what he was trying to go for. Because it just didn't really work out. Like, okay, here's a great example. Because Katrina's a Calgary fan. So I'm watching it. I see it happen. I was like, oh, because I see him beat the defenseman clean and Hubert's got the breakaway i didn't realize it was him at first i was like oh shit oh shit oh shit oh oh good they stopped it and katrina's like who was it and i was like what was the number i said uh i think it was 28 i want to say and she says oh it was elias lindholm yeah no no that's a good guy like you would think he was just it shows the replay it says oh it's oh yeah it's number 10 oh yeah it's hubert oh you're fine you're fine he had no hope that summed it up right there i mean what happened to him? Like, he went from a guy who put up really good numbers in Florida to... Yeah, like, he looks like a broken man. And I wonder if it's... And what's weird is, like, the setup talent is still clearly there. Like, is it... Is it systems in Calgary? Is it his like the rest of his line mates? Because like, at least with Nazem Kadri, you can tell he just doesn't give a shit. Mm-hmm. Well, he's got his big boy contract. Yeah, he's got his big boy contract. He's living in Calgary. Hell, he's probably even been to Mina's. We don't know. Yeah, so it's just like, just really bizarre what's happening in Calgary right now, and. I'm not sure they can fire Huska. No. The guy's been there for 10 games. The GM's gone. Like, the only thing left is to blow it up. But there's no way you're trading Kadri or Huberto at this point. No one's going to take them. Unless, no. like, it's like absolute fire sale price. And I'm not sure. Like, I think it would have to be Calgary retains maximum salary and adds in a draft pick level of fire sale. Oh, that would be awful. Because how many more years? Well, I guess Kadri's got what? Six more after this? Kadri's got six more after this. He's got six. And what does Huberto have? About the same? I think Huberto has the full eight. And honestly, if you buy a moat, it would just be like... you. The Flames would be in the same situation the Wild are. That contract is almost buyout proof, yeah. Yeah, he's got eight years on that contract. 
10.5 million, no movement clauses until 2029. And it becomes a modified no trade in 2029-2030. You got to feel for Calgary, eh? God, you go from losing Goudreau into Chuck to now you have a shell of Jonathan Huberto and a Nazem Kadri that doesn't care. Yeah, like it's, yeah, it's brutal. At least a Nazem Kadri has no move bonuses, sorry, no move too. So that's going to be hard. At least Kadri's only 7 million. But still, if you buy that out, because I think it's half the contract you'd have to eat. So that's what? What would that be? Three and a half? Three and a half. Let's see. What is a buyout on Kadri? Yeah, because I'm not too sure what the percentage is when it comes to contracts like that. Uh, The cap hit to Calgary. Oh, this is a weird one. So if you were to buy him out at the buyout window next year. Mm-hmm. Cap hit of four million dollars for the next two years. Two million, sorry, two point nine the year after that, and then one point nine for the next eight years. That's not the worst that we've ever seen. Wait, did you say eight years? Yeah, so it's gonna be a ten-year buyout period because you have to double the length. Oh yeah, I guess so. And because there's so many signing bonuses, you get the basically it's two million flat plus the sign out bonuses. So the buyout cost is uh, one point nine million uh, over ten years, and then he has signing bonuses in 2024, 2025, 2025, 2026, 2026, 2027, and those bonuses have to be paid, and that comes in on the cap hit. So that's another contract that is structured to be buyout proof. So they don't even, you wouldn't even get cap relief until, well, you get some cap relief, but not enough. No, basically you'd have to trade everybody but them. Yeah. Because at least the Huberdo, let's see, what's, let's do a calculus. Huberdo, I think is also structured. Oh no. Oh God. Let's see. It's mostly sign-on bonuses. Huberdo is buyout proof. You want to hear these signing bonuses, Tay? Yes, I do. 2023-2024, 7, 7 million until 2026-2027 when it becomes 9.5 million in bonuses. 2028-2029, 7 million. 2029-2030, 9.5 million in the last year, 5 million bonuses. That contract is buyout proof. Dude, that is like, you know, we always say about the Rick DiPietro contract, how bad that buyout is. That's egregious. Like, there are years where you will would not actually be paying less. Yeah. Like, that's, you cannot buy that contract out. No. I mean, <laughs> you can. It's a bad idea. You can't. So, Can you like, imagine if Calgary went out and did this and then Huberto just re signs in Florida and finds his game all over again? That would be very funny, honestly. Just very, very funny. Like, buying out the Huberto contract 
would make the Parise and Sutter buyouts look like no big deal. Yeah, and that's just one contract. That's not both of those contracts. Yeah. So it's like, I have ne- I don't think I've ever seen a contract like that go that sour. This quickly. Yeah. Like, I really hope the guy is able to turn it around. Same. And you know what, though? You remember how early in this episode, Tim, we were talking about things that you can at least commend Gary Bettman for? I would say putting the cap on the years and how much you can get paid in a year. That stop teams from harming themselves. Yeah, from like, say, Rick DiPietro, 17-year contract. <laughs> Dude, that was like the Wild West. It was just crazy. I mean, why did we let these things happen? I mean, in fairness, Wayne Gretzky got a 20-year contract in 1980. He didn't even play the whole thing. I think he did. I think it was, 19, it was either 79 or 80 he got a 20-year contract. And I think what happened... Didn't he retire in 97? 99. No, 99. You're right. He did play yeah, he, the whole thing I think at that. I think at some point they restructured it. So basically by like 1989 or 90, he would have been a free agent. <laughs> now, you know how we talk about big name free agents, hitting free agency and all that stuff? Imagine if the NHL had introduced free agency and Wayne Gretzky was the first name on the board. That'd be insanity. Dude, you think the LeBron James... The decision was a big deal. Imagine if Gretzky had his, his idea of where he wanted to sign. I don't want to think about that. Well, thankfully, he's been retired for the last 25 years, Tim, so we will never have to worry about that. <laughs> no kidding. So, Tim, do you have any more comments you want to make on these episodes or games before we head off into the close? Nope. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it because, believe me, Tim and I love recording it for you. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Play, as well as on social media at Third Line Plug. You can also find me on social media at Great White Gipster. That's G R 8 W I T E Gipster. And you can find Tim on Twitter at M901. Honey Badger. So, Tim, thankfully, we got two games to talk about for next week. However, they're not going to be played in Ottawa or Detroit. Or even Minnesota. We're going to Sweden for these games. Are they going to be on at weird hours? Yes, I think the Minnesota game is all like... It's like 9 o'clock here, guys, this time. But I think the Detroit game is at like 11 o'clock my time. Oh, like AM? Yes. Okay. Well, that's going to be tough and annoying. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I got places to be, things to eat. <laughs> and this has been Tim Jensen.